2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe and that notification bell button. Uh, subscribe to the SLE YouTube channel so that you can keep up to date with all of the streams that will be coming in the near future. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Testing? All good? Well, it's great to see everyone here today, and especially to uh, the, the mothers out there. Blessed Mother's Day. I uh, hope it's a day filled with uh, joy as you reflect on um, motherhood and as you're celebrated by your children, hopefully, uh, who have remembered uh, in different ways. Uh, indeed, um, uh, we who are children are, are grateful uh, for, for the mothers that we have. Um, they're not perfect by any means, um, but um, I'm sure many of us have many reasons to give thanks. But on Mother's Day, it's also a day which is difficult for many women as well. And so let us continue to remember them and to find ways to lovingly and sensitively reach out to them. Uh, those who had many struggles in being a mother, those who want to be mothers but aren't able to for different reasons, uh, and those who suffered loss and grief, either in losing their mothers or in having lost children. Um, and I'm sure you know uh, people around you uh, who are in that situation. So it's a day of both great joy and happiness and celebration but also a day to lovingly and sensitively think about those who are suffering uh, on a day like today. Um, in other news, I'm sure many of you would have heard on Friday that the Prime Minister of Australia and the Premier of Queensland have announced a, 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 a timetable, in a way, of rolling back some of the restrictions over the next couple of months. 
So please do pray for us as a church to think about how that would impact the way we do things. We look forward to having 10 people here next Sunday. I think we allowed that from Friday onwards. We have 10 people in the service, so you should see a bigger team here next Sunday. Uh, but as uh, the numbers uh, increase that we're allowed to have in here, we're, we're going to think about how we can do church in small ways, either here at church or in people's homes. Uh, so please do pray for wisdom for us all, that we want to be sensitive and loving and safe uh, to make sure that there is no spike in the COVID-19 virus, but at the same time to be able to enjoy uh, the, the privileges of being able to meet together again in, in small groups. Uh, so please pray for wisdom for the leaders as well as for each other uh, as we uh, work through the next couple of months of changes. Well, uh, we are going to continue on today in our sermon series in 2 Corinthians, in this uh, series called uh, Power in Weakness. Um, I just want to remind everyone again that it's a, it's a tough letter to read because we're reading a very personal letter from the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Corinth about 2,000 years ago. It's very easy for us as we uh, enter God's Word in, in 2 Corinthians to think of all the we's and ours and us as us directly, first and foremost, but it's not. Uh, the hour, the we's in this passage is about Paul and about the, 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 the people who are within the apostles. Uh, in the first century, those who first brought the gospel out, having uh, been disciples and followers of Jesus, having heard and, and seen what Jesus had done and taught. And so we need to think through what Paul is saying about himself first before we think about what it means for us today. Okay? So let's keep working hard on, on working on the context of that. We're almost in the, in the middle of the series, and so if you are joining us for the first time, or if you've only been here a couple of weeks, it might be a good idea to go back and read uh, one, uh, 2 Corinthians from chapter 1, and to maybe go back and watch or listen to the sermons uh, in the earlier part of the series. But for now, please keep your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, we'll be working through um, this passage, uh, and if it helps for you to have the outline in front of you as well, you'll be able to download it uh, from our church website. Uh, so please uh, do that. One of the most important things we can do always as we come before God's word is to pray. So let me do that. Uh, please join me as I pray for us. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, indeed we give you great thanks for the amazing gospel that you have given to us that has been brought down through us first and foremost uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ who came to reveal uh, who you are, to reveal your righteousness to reveal salvation and to reveal what it means and what it takes for us to be able to come back to you, we who are rebels and sinners, and how we can be saved and reconciled and made right with you. And we thank you that the Lord, the Lord Jesus called to himself disciples whom he taught and he discipled and whom he commissioned to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we thank you that one of the great apostles is the apostle Paul. After Jesus, probably the most influential man uh, in, in Christianity for the gospel. And we thank you that we can work through this letter, a very personal letter from Paul, about how he continued to persevere in ministry, even though he faced so many challenges. And we pray that you'll help us to give thanks to you for Paul, to give thanks for Paul, and to also be able to learn from him as he shares with us about what kept him going. Uh, please encourage and spur us on, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you look at our passage today in chapter 4, verse 1 to 16, you'll see that it begins and ends with Paul declaring, Paul saying, uh, we do not lose heart. Right? We do not lose heart. Now, losing heart is a dreadful thing, isn't it? Losing heart. 
that dreaded feeling of, of great uh, discouragement, uh, of, of not being able to carry on anymore, of wanting to give up, throw in the towel, and just stop doing the thing that you, you're supposed to be doing, that you want to do. I think we all know what that feels like to lose heart in things in life. Perhaps it's exactly how you're feeling right now, the sense of losing heart in the things that, that matter to us, that are important to us. Some of us know the feeling of losing heart in, in the important relationships of our lives, losing heart in the way that our marriages are going, in the way that we are parenting our children, in the way that we're relating to our family and friends, and maybe losing heart in the area of loneliness and, and singleness. We also might lose heart in the area of work and our studies. Uh, as things get harder and, and challenges seem so difficult to overcome, we, we lose heart in the pursuits of life. When life spins out of control, as it's doing at the moment, when things just don't seem to work out, no matter what we do or what we try and how much effort we put in, we slowly start to lose heart. Losing heart is a terrible place to be, isn't it? For Paul, he could have lost heart in his gospel ministry. And I think that would have been the most tragic thing of all. For Paul to have lost heart in gospel ministry would have been the most tragic thing of all. Can you imagine if Paul had lost heart in the work of the gospel? If Paul had lost heart in being the apostle of Jesus Christ and had lost heart in bringing the gospel in the early days of Christianity where very, very few people knew about Jesus, he had lost heart in bringing the gospel out to the world. Can you imagine what that would have been like? The consequences for the world and for us would be tragic. Now, I want us to consider why it would be so tragic for Paul and for all Christians to lose heart in the gospel and in gospel ministry. And I want to remind us about what we learned last week. And I want you to, to, to go back and read the last chapter, if, you, if you've forgotten already, about what the gospel and what gospel ministry is about and why it's so important. Now, oh, gospel ministry, as we saw last week, gives life. Regeneration. Right? Brought from death to life with God now and forever. We saw last week that gospel ministry makes people right with God. Justification, right? No longer under God's condemnation and judgment. We saw last week that gospel ministry gives sight to see God. Illumination. We're no longer blind with a veil over our eyes, veiled to the glory of God. And we saw last week, finally, that gospel ministry brings true and lasting change transformation, transform from one degree of glory to another, to the full glory of the image of Jesus Christ. That is what we saw gospel ministry does. As, we, as Paul preached the gospel, he brought these things to us, to the people, to, to the Corinthians, to the world. This is the ministry that Paul was given, and we must give thanks to God that he and the other, other apostles, the first preachers of the gospel, did not lose heart. Had they done so, the gospel would not have gone out, and that would have been the most tragic thing of all. Paul did not lose heart. Instead, he persisted, as we see in this passage today, he persisted with the plain preaching of the gospel, and, and, and he pressed on in personal weakness. Why? Because the ministry, the power of ministry wasn't in Paul's own words or in Paul's own strength, but that the power of ministry was in the gospel itself and from God. That's why Paul was able to press on. 
Now, if you're not a believer listening in today, I hope that you will see the power of the gospel and the power of God. No matter what we messengers, whether the, the friend that's trying to share the gospel with you, no matter how impressive or unimpressive we the messengers are, I hope you'll be able to see the power of the gospel and the power of God and come to put your faith, your trust in the gospel and in God. But if you are a believer today, if you're a struggling believer, a struggling servant, struggling to evangelize and to disciple and, and to, to, to encourage people in the Christian faith, then I hope and pray that you will not lose heart, that you'll be encouraged by God's word today. Let's get into the passage, right, with a question to start with, all right? Why would Paul lose heart if he had been given such a great gospel to minister to others with, all right? Why would Paul lose heart with such a great gospel? Well, it's because the response to Paul's teaching was mixed. Well, we've heard that over the last few weeks, haven't we? In the context of the Corinthian church, that the response to Paul's teaching was mixed. For sure, in the initial stages, when he first went to Corinth and preached the gospel, many came to believe, and many grew in faith, and the church grew. But since then, in the years since then, his words seem to have fallen on many deaf ears and on many hard hearts. We have heard that some were turning away from his teaching and moving towards other more impressive-sounding preachers who came with a seemingly more impressive-sounding message. And people were turning away from Paul. And others were taking offense when Paul brought the word of God and told them and rebuked them for their sins and asked them and told them and called for them to re repent. And, and they, they're just like, no, too, too, too harsh, Paul. You can't tell us stuff like that. And, and they took offense and they turned away from him. Now, if you've ever tried to open the Bible with people to persuade them about the gospel and to ask them to believe in Jesus, to teach and, and to correct and to rebuke and to train people in righteousness, I think you will have a sense for what it was like for Paul, isn't it? That we've experienced too, people who, who, who reject us or turn away from us or who find it very hard to accept the things that we're teaching from God's word. It's easy for us then to lose heart. We know what it's like, I think, for those who've tried to do ministry to experience what Paul experiences. And it'd be tempting for us to just make our lives so much easier by just pulling back. Just, just don't teach the Bible so much. Don't open the word so much. Find something nicer to talk about and maybe even be tempted to, to change the message. Maybe just leave the bits that are difficult or that are in your face out from the Bible. Now, another reason that Paul might have lost heart is the suffering that he had to endure. Right? He, he suffered the, the rejection of people that he had nurtured. He, he had to face up to opponents of the gospel, enemies of the gospel everywhere he went. And as he traveled, he, he, he was afflicted in many ways, and, and he felt sick, and he was poor, and, and life was just hard. Who wouldn't feel like giving up with all of this going on? Wouldn't you feel, if you were Paul, like maybe you weren't cut out for this? Wouldn't you worry that other people watching you do the ministry in this way would think that you're not cut out for it, that maybe you're not fit to be a minister of the gospel, so weak that you are? It would be so easy to think that you're doing it wrong or that it's not worth it, that you're doing it wrong or that it's not worth it. And in this passage, Paul addresses these two issues head on. So open your Bibles. We'll start at verse 1, right? 2 Corinthians 
4, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, for we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I, I swear to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's basically what Paul is saying here. I swear to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. He's absolutely committed to the plain, truthful preaching of the gospel. And in verse 2, he tells us that he refuses to do three things. He refuses to use disgraceful, shameful, underhanded methods to bring this message across. He refuses to use any trickery or cunning and the word here it has this meaning of, of doing whatever it takes. Right? It doesn't matter what, just do whatever it takes to get the job done, to seal the deal. He won't do that. And the third thing is that he won't tamper. He refuses to tamper with the word of God. Right? He just won't tamper it. There is no need and no place in his ministry for manipulating people or modifying the word. There's no need to make himself or the message more appealing, more attractive, or more convincing. But it's tempting to do, isn't it? It's tempting to to want to to manipulate or to modify to make the message more acceptable and and attractive and, and, and convincing to people. Sometimes out of genuine desire for people to listen and to take take on board what we so love and cherish. Out of a great desire for people to want to accept what we've come to know to be true and good. But sometimes it's out of fear as well, isn't it? It's out of fear of what people will think of us if we were truly to say everything that the Bible has to say. Out of fear. Tempting to downplay sin and its consequences and its effects. It's tempting to to avoid talking about the reality of God's wrath and judgment. It's tempting to, to hold back from insisting that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. And it's so easy to kind of go soft and go easy on calling for people to truly repent, to take up their cross daily and, and truly follow Jesus with their whole lives, with their whole heart, with all that they are to follow Jesus. It's tempting to just go soft on all these things. It's important to know that there is such a thing as disgraceful Christian ministry. There is such a thing as disgraceful Christian ministry, a ministry which doesn't teach the plain truth of God's word. Not all who bear the name Christian lives up to the name, right? Just because a Christian or a Christian church teaches something, it doesn't mean that they're teaching the truth of God's word. Christian ministry has to be weighed. There has to be discernment and wisdom. We who teach and we who are taught by others must always go back to the Word of God to see if there is any manipulating, any modifying going on. Because only the plain truth should stand. Paul will not lose heart. He will not lose heart in being devoted to the open statement of the truth. That's why he tells us 
The open statement is, is simply showing what's there, right? Just, just, just an unveiling of the truth. It's just showing what's, what's really in here. Not like a magician, right? You know magicians, they, 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 they show you, but they're really using sleight of hand. They're really trying to manipulate you. They're masking what something truly is. Paul says, no, I'm not a magician. I'm more like a museum curator, right? A museum curator displaying an item up on a stand, up at eye level so it's easy to see with ample lighting shining all around, giving people an opportunity to properly see, properly scrutinize, properly inspect and appreciate all of the detail and all of the intricacies of this valuable item. You see, the glorious gospel unveiled simply and openly is enough. The glorious gospel unveiled simply and openly is enough. Because as Romans 1 puts it, as how Paul puts it in his letter to the Romans, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, the power of God for salvation for all who believe. As we saw last week in the last passage, the gospel is enough. In fact, it is the only way to give life, to make right, to show God and to change us truly. Now, we have to be clear that plain and simple teaching doesn't mean simplistic and dumbed-down teaching, right? Plain and simple teaching does not mean simplistic and dumbed-down teaching. Plain and simple describes the method, right? Just the, the plain and simple showing of what the gospel really is. Because the gospel in itself is both simple at its very core, yet it is packed with beautiful details and intricacies. We have in the Bible 66 books, all pointing to the simple yet glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? 66 content-filled, intricately beautiful books, all pointing to the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul himself spent a lot of time teaching and reasoning and explaining the Bible to people, isn't he? Didn't he? He spent one and a half years in Corinth teaching them the Bible, and, and even that wasn't enough, right? There was so much more he had to say. He, he told that he would come back and teach them more. We know that he went to Ephesus for three and a half years, right? And, and, and he explained the whole council of Scripture, three and a half years, daily, explaining the Bible, Preaching and teaching all of God's word takes time. It is not simplistic. There is great content. But the manner by which we teach God's word has to be plain and, and open, an open statement, a, a simple unveiling of the truth. There is no dressing it up. There is no pruning out bits that we don't like or that we, we fear people won't like. There is no manipulation and no modification needed. Now, we can ask, why is Paul so convinced that preaching plainly is, is all that is needed, especially when, we, when it doesn't seem to work so much of the time? You think about that, right? Why would he be so convinced to keep doing the things that he's doing when, when there, are, there are these rival preachers coming in with this more impressive message, with a more impressive manner, who are winning people away from Paul? Why would he, why would he be convinced when, when, when there's opponents and rejection, when, when people, when the response is something so lacking to the way that he preaches plainly, why is he so convinced and so confident in this word? Well, the first reason is found at the end of verse 2. At the end of verse 2. Right? 
the ministry, his ministry, is before the audience of one. It is done in the sight of God. You see, it is God alone that Paul is ultimately accountable to. What God thinks matters most. And what God wants to say, he has already put it all down here in his word. Right? And Paul says, if this is where God has put his word, then all I will do is plainly preach what is in God's word. Would you have I ever want to misrepresent God, to, to take stuff out from his word or to add new bits into it to make it sound better? We would not want to misrepresent God. This is his word. And what he thinks matters most. The second reason is seen in verse 3 and 4. Paul is relatively unaffected by results because he knows it's not ultimately up to him. Right? His job is to plainly unveil the gospel. But there is a spiritual reality at work that determines whether people see. Verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel. Sorry, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, if people don't respond, it is not the problem of the gospel message. It is not the problem of the gospel. The problem lies in the hearts and minds of those who are perishing, who don't believe. The, the, the God of the gospel, sorry, the God of this world uh, in verse 3 is Paul's way of speaking about the devil. Right? His way of speaking about the devil. You, you'll see it here in this passage. you also see it later in 2 Corinthians. And the, the devil, according to, to Paul in God's word, has two jobs. Right? The devil has two jobs. The first job of the devil is to deceive believers, right? to deceive Christians and to lead them astray. Right, you'll see this in 2 Corinthians verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 3. Right? First job, deceive Christians and lead them astray. The devil's second job, we see here, to, bind, to blind unbelievers, to blind unbelievers so that they won't see, so that they won't understand and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, Paul knew this well. And so must we, if we are not to lose heart in evangelism and discipleship and in persisting with, with opening the Bible with people. We have the responsibility and the privilege of plainly unveiling the truth, but whether the other veil, the one that is on people's minds and hearts, the one we are speaking to, whether that is lifted or not, whether that remains or not, is not up to us. You get that? We, we are responsible and we have the privilege of unveiling God's word plainly and simply but whether the unveiling is happening in the people's minds and hearts is not ultimately up to us. We need God to do that work. And so we get to the third reason. Right? The third reason. Paul preaches plainly because he trusts that God will open blind eyes. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, said, for God who said, let light, light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let God who said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness 
has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul is a servant of Jesus Christ preaching the gospel because God first shone the light of the gospel into his heart. I hope many of you, all of you, will know the story of Paul's conversion. Right? He was a persecutor of Jesus Christ and the church because he did not believe that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, the Christ. But on the road to Damascus, as he was about to arrest and kill more Christians, the Lord Jesus shone a blinding light which blinded Paul's physical eyes. But then through that, he shone a light that opened his spiritually blind eyes to who Jesus truly was. And he came to see that the one that he had persecuted was indeed the Son of God, that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the reflection, the true reflection of the glory of God. You see, for Paul, the veil had been removed by God. He saw Jesus. He became a servant of Jesus and he preached the gospel of Jesus, knowing that God is the one who opens blind eyes because he was the living proof and example of it. The power of God is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the word of God. And as we plainly teach Jesus in the word, God is opening blind eyes. So should we lose heart? Should Paul? Certainly not. Now we get to the second big reason as we carry on in this passage for why Paul might have lost heart, right? The, the issue, the very real and pressing issue of suffering and weakness. Let's read on, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You see, Paul did not lose heart in suffering because it is precisely his weakness that God's surpassing power is displayed. Right? It is precisely in his weakness that God's surpassing power is displayed. It showed off. We see in, this, in, in verse 7 this beautiful picture, right? Treasure in jars of clay. The striking contrast of treasure in jars of clay. This is how, how Paul drives this, this point home. The, the glorious, powerful, eternal gospel is the treasure, and this treasure is being held in and being served through the most brittle and fragile and expandable vessel. You look at this picture, right? Jars of clay were easily cracked and chipped. That they didn't have the, the modern technology processes we have that keeps clay all nice together. It was easy to crack and chip. You never repaired them, you just threw them out. No one looking at Paul would mistake him and his ministry for being great or grand. And that was a big problem, as we've heard, for the Corinthian church, with their very worldly views and understanding of what was impressive, of what was powerful and what was important. A big problem for the Corinthian church 
that, that Paul was not great or glorious looking. But it is a very, very good thing that Paul wasn't great because it ensured that any greatness or power that came through Paul's ministry would clearly to be seen to not belong to Paul, but belong to God. It's a very good thing that he was not glorious or great looking because any greatness that came out of the ministry, any, any life that he was given, any transformation that was brought was because, solely because of God's power. You see, Paul undercuts the showy and bombastic and pretentious rivals who had come into the Corinthian church. A minister constantly exuding strength and power with self-sufficiency on full display draws attention to himself or herself and takes the attention away from God. Paul was weak, but he wasn't defeated. He was weak, but God's power was on full display through and in Paul's weakness. Now, as you look at uh, verse uh, seven, uh, verse eight to nine, you see these word pairs, right, running all the way through verse eight and nine. Uh, these, there is a beautiful play on words here that's actually quite obvious in the Greek, and it kind of carries through in the English as well. But let me paraphrase it a bit, just to make it even clearer. This this sense of of weakness and power. Right, Paul was stressed, stressed, but not stressed out. Right, he was bent, but never broken. He was knocked down, but never knocked out. Right, the brittle vessel Paul was cracked, but never shattered, partially damaged, but never completely destroyed. You hear that, right? And what's the reason? Because divine glue, divine glue was holding Paul together. The clay pot was weak, but the divine glue is strong. How did you get this picture? Isn't it a deeply encouraging picture? Paul was able to keep going in weakness because of God's power working in and through him. And Paul tells us that this pattern of life merely follows that of Jesus Christ. Same pattern of life as Jesus Christ. We see this in verse 10 to 12. Right? That Jesus Christ came with a ministry of death. Right? He came to suffer and die. But through this ministry of death, he secured victory over sin and death, and he brings life. That's what Jesus did. Ministry of death that brings life. So also for Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, that death was also at work in his life, in his ministry, in his suffering. But in order that life may be brought to those that he ministered the gospel to. A ministry of death that brings life. Weakness that brings power. Paul was cracked, but wonderfully and powerfully held together by divine glue. That's how Paul was able to continue in ministry. But, but, but Paul's ultimate hope wasn't to have this never-ending earthly ministry. There will come a time where he wouldn't just experience a sort of death in his everyday ministry. He would experience the full experience of physical death at the end of his life. But even in this ultimate weakness, God's power is even more clearly displayed and at work, isn't it? Have a look at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. 
we also believe and so also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Hear that? Paul believed in God who raised the dead because God first raised Jesus from the dead. And so he is certain that he will be raised with Jesus from the dead, and he is certain that the Corinthians who believe in this same gospel will also be raised from the dead, as well as all who will come to hear this gospel and believe in Jesus. Not just the Corinthians, but for every believer ever since then, all the way to today. Weakness, the daily experience of death in ministry, the, the, the certain physical death that is to come to Paul and to all of us, were no reasons for Paul to lose heart, no reasons to throw in the towel and give up. No, weakness is how God shows his surpassing power in life and in death. Let's uh, bring things to an end, hey? Because Paul did not lose heart, the gospel went out to the world. Let's be clear about that, right? Because Paul and the other apostles in the, in the first century did not lose heart, the gospel went out to the world, and it came down all the way through the history, all the way through history down to us. Because Paul stayed faithful to the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, speaking plainly the words of God and his gospel in the Bible, we get to know God as he truly is. Because Paul saw weakness as the way God shows his power, he pressed on and preached the gospel that is the power of God to save and give life to Paul and to all who hear and believe in the gospel. Thank God, thank God for powerfully working in and through Paul. Through Paul, God has brought countless millions to saving faith in the gospel that he preached. Countless millions like us have been blessed because Paul did not lose heart. And thank God that Paul shared with us in this chapter about how and why he did not lose heart. Because all of us, are also called to be disciples of Jesus Christ who are to share the gospel to our unbelieving world and to, to open the word of God and to disciple other believers around us. Now you and I both know this is not an easy task, that some of us have lost heart trying to do this and perhaps some of us are losing heart right now. I'm sure you know and I think I've shared enough that I've certainly had my struggles over the years in ministry in, in, in pressing on. I've faced many discouragements. I've had depression and anxiety, and I've uh, struggled, frankly speaking, with, with, with many individuals and, and, and with, with, with church leadership problems and, and many other struggles that have come up. In the last two months since this uh, COVID-19 lockdown with all the changes, uh, there has been a, a growing sense of demotivation in my own heart, a, a feeling very distant from everyone and everything. And, and it's been hard. It's tempting to lose heart. And I thank God that I haven't lost heart, but it's been very tempting 
to, to wallow in some kind of misery in suffering. Now, for some of you, gospel ministry has taken a back seat. It's not on your radar anymore as you scramble to just live life. As you lose heart in life in general, it's easy to lose heart in gospel ministry, isn't it? In times like these, our, our brain space, our heart is filled with, with worries and with anxieties about life. If we're, we're so burdened by life, how, how can we press on in evangelism and in discipleship and in fellowship with other people? But gospel ministry is far too important for us to lose heart and give up. It's far too important for us to lose heart and give up. And the great thing about gospel ministry is that it doesn't have to be so complicated and complex. You don't have to aim so big. We're, we're supposed to just plainly preach and teach what God's Word says. And it could be as simple as just sending a Bible verse on WhatsApp to a friend that you know would be encouraged. It could just be opening the Bible with your kids at the end of a long, difficult day and just reading with them for a few minutes and just saying a quick, simple prayer. And, and, with, and with restrictions opening and we are allowed to have one or two visitors, maybe we can open up our homes or we can go out there and visit people and meet with them and just open the Bible. You don't have to have anything fancy. You don't have to have done a lot of prep and, and know everything about the passage. Just open the Bible to, to any book maybe one that you're somewhat familiar with, and just read the Bible. Pray, read the Bible, have a chat about it, pray again, find ways to simply and plainly read the Bible and live it out. Now, we would dearly love for people to respond, but we're not in control of that. God is. We're not responsible for that. God is. But God does use our simple and plain teaching of the gospel as the means by which he displays his power through the plain words of weak people like us. Through the plain words of weak people like us, God is powerfully opening blind eyes and bring about life and transformation. And so if you're losing heart, if you're feeling weak and suffering setbacks, don't lose heart. You're not a failure. You're a success. You know what you're a success in? You're successful in being a jar of clay, aren't you? In your weakness, as you continue to preach the gospel plainly, you're, you're a jar of clay. That's what you're being successful at. And you know what jars of clays do? They hold on to the treasure that is the gospel. So keep holding on to that. Keep being a vessel that brings treasure to others. Keep letting God be the divine glue that powerfully holds you together as you press on. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you are indeed almighty and all-powerful. And we give you great thanks that your simple gospel, the simple message of Jesus Christ, whom you sent into the world to live and to die and through his resurrection to give new life. It's a simple message that we have that we can give to others. It's a treasure that we have. Please help us to see that all we need to do to not lose heart is to keep press, pressing on knowing the power of the gospel and knowing your power to work. That all we have to do is just to open 
an open statement, a, a plain opening, a simple unveiling of the truth of your word to the people around us. That we are not responsible or in charge of unveiling blind eyes. You are. But we have the responsibility and the privilege and the joy of opening your word to people. So please help us to do that. Whether that's with our children at home, even after a long day, whether it's with a family or friend, as we try to meet up, even in our weakness and in, in not knowing what to say sometimes, let us just hear what you have to say. And let us prayerfully ask that you will open our eyes to understand your truths, knowing that your truths are powerful enough to completely change our lives. In our weakness and in our suffering and our difficulties, as we lose heart, as we struggle in the things of this life, as we struggle to press on in doing gospel ministry, help us to see that we're simply being successful in being jars of clay, that we have cracks, that we are chipped, that we are bent, but that we're never broken, we're never shattered, we're never destroyed because your divine glue is holding us together. With you holding us together, please help us to press on. For this we pray in Jesus' name.